My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Leonard Monkman. As writer and activist Arundhati Roy noted in her acceptance speech for the 2004 Sydney Peace Prize, quote, We know, of course, there's really no such thing as the voiceless. There are only the deliberately silenced or the preferably unheard, end quote. The corollary of that is that there's no such thing as giving voice to someone else. There's only challenging the active process of silencing and creating ways for the unheard to amplify their voices such that they cannot be ignored. According to Leonard Monkman, he and a lot of the other indigenous youth that he knows and works with in Winnipeg have a lot of stories, a lot of experiences, a lot of ideas that haven't yet been heard and that should be. And many of those who have had a chance to share them with mainstream media have often found them distorted, misconstrued, and taken out of context. So earlier this year, he and a number of other youth decided to found Red Rising magazine. They've jumped into the process of soliciting submissions, editing, and producing, and they already have two issues under their belt, as well as a great website. They still haven't figured out quite where the project is going, but already they have a vibrant, wonderful mechanism that is an uncensored and unfiltered way for Indigenous youth to speak their truths to each other, to broader Indigenous communities, and to the world at large. Monkman talks with me about Indigenous youth, communities, and resurgence in Winnipeg, about the practicalities of founding a magazine, and about the importance of making sure that the diverse voices of Indigenous youth get heard. We spoke by Skype from Winnipeg. My name is Leonard Monkman. I'm a community organizer with Aboriginal Youth Opportunities, and I am also a student at the University of Winnipeg. Red Rising is an Indigenous-themed magazine that was produced, written, everything volunteer submitted by Indigenous youth. And well, we have a few allies with us too, but we wanted to be able to create a magazine that would be Indigenous themed and to be able to give a voice for the Indigenous youth. I think for me, it's kind of all started off throughout this year, I guess. This year is the first time that I've been able to get involved in the community. I have been doing flooring for the last five years and May was actually the last time that I stopped doing flooring got involved in a group called Aboriginal Youth Opportunities, which is a volunteer youth movement. And we do a lot of community organizing and community events. We host politics sessions. We talk politics every Saturday. We get a bunch of people together on every Friday at 6 o'clock in Winnipeg's North End. This all kind of kicked off for me with an event called 100 Basketballs, where we give away 234 basketballs to kids in the North End for free. And that kind of uh, kicked things off for me in terms of the publicity that happened. But the magazine itself, I had been writing a blog for the duration of this year. And we were doing a demonstration out on Broadway and Belmoral by the legislature. We were raising awareness for Shoal Lake 40, which is uh, on a water advisory. And that's where Winnipeg gets all of its water from. So we were going to go and have dinner. There was probably about 
eight or nine of us there. Me and the visual guy were standing outside talking, and he was saying, like, uh, you know what we should do? We should start up a magazine, like a, a guerrilla zine. And I told him, I've been waiting for you to say something like that because he's incredibly talented, incredibly gifted visually with graphic design and stuff like that and website design. So me and him were kind of talking for a few minutes outside and then proposed it to the group and and just kind of got everybody all together after that day and talked about having an Indigenous youth magazine so we can create something using different talents that everyone has together and to be able to use those talents together to create a magazine. A lot of us in the group have been involved in media interviews and radio interviews, all of these different types of mediums, and sometimes the words and the message of what we were actually saying would have been misconstrued or just taken out of context. So we wanted to be able to have a platform for Indigenous youth to be able to tell their own stories and to say whatever's on their mind in, in their own words. I don't think that any of us really had an idea of how well it would turn out and how well it would be produced. I've kind of been the hype man behind the group to get everybody excited about it. And I don't even think myself personally, I don't think that I expected it to turn out that well. It's really a collective effort and the, the work that we've been able to accomplish has been uh, the result of a lot of people coming together and making it happen. Tell me a bit more about the other folks who are involved in the project. The majority of the people that are involved in the magazine are Indigenous youth, and the majority of us are actually students at the university. We do have a couple of non-Indigenous people that are helping us. They kind of help us out with a little bit of the editing and just kind of behind-the-scenes stuff a little bit, but for the most part, it's a good majority of Indigenous people. Tell me about the nuts and bolts of the process of figuring out how to do it all to put together and publish a magazine. It's all just trial and error, so we're kind of just figuring out everything on the fly. We started off the idea on August 13th, and we came up with a release date that day. And the initial release date was October 2nd. We had to push it back to October 9th, but our submission deadline was September 27th. And what we had done is we had put a call out on Facebook using our networks. We have a Facebook presence with the group that I'm a part of, Aboriginal Youth Opportunities. And we used that social media account to promote and ask for submissions. And I think we had about close to 30 submissions. And we were telling people that if it didn't make it into the magazine, the physical copy, that it would make it onto the website. We kind of just compiled all of the submissions. We all sat down as a group graded them and put whatever we had scoring the highest. So I don't even think that we really expected it to be 30 pages in length, but that's what it turned out to be. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty good production, I think, with the physical copy. I was kind of uh, nervous. I was out of town, actually, when the magazine was going to print. And the only thing that I was actually worried about was coming back. And the paper quality would have been not so nice, but everything looks really high quality. And the feel of the magazine is nice. And I have a bit of a sense, based on projects that I've been involved in in the past, of just how expensive it can be to print publications. Did you do some fundraising to raise that initial money to pay for the printing costs, or how how did you deal with that side of things? Well, I think what we wanted to do is we wanted it to be free. And just with the way that how fast everything happened, we kind of just got it done, made it happen, and weren't really expecting how much growth or expecting too much outside of the first initial copy. But we did receive a donation from one of 
Winnipeg's judges. Uh, well, we might as well just say his name, Murray Sinclair. <laughs> and sorry to interrupt again. Listeners may also recognize Sinclair's name as the chair of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Murray Sinclair gave us half of the donations for their first 1,000 issues, and then the second half of the funding came from individual donors that wanted to just be able to help out with it. And what about distribution? How has that been working? The problem with getting something done that fast and not really having enough of a vision is that we wanted it to be able to go to community centers and inner city schools and anywhere there would be Indigenous youth or Indigenous students. We had 1,000 copies and the plan was to get it out to as much of these places as possible. So we have this group called Meet Me at the Bell Tower, which meets every single Friday in Winnipeg's North End. And I think we gave close to 200 copies away that day. It was World Mental Health Day on October 9th. And we had uh, Olympic gold medalist Clara Hughes come out to talk about mental health. And on the same day, Wob Canoe's book had just released that week. So we had close to 200 people over at the Bell Tower and we distributed it there. There was a round dance in Winnipeg's downtown the following Saturday. And I think they gave away about 100 copies. And then the majority of the rest of them kind of went to inner city schools, community centers, anywhere that we can think of where there was youth. I kind of just dropped off as much of them in one neighborhood as possible that I could think of. We kind of distributed as well to each person that contributed to the magazine, but also to the people that were a part of putting it together, I think took five copies each. And I ended up going out to a national treaty meeting gathering in Regina and gave it to as much people as possible while I was out there just to showcase to the rest of, because there was a lot of Indigenous people from around the country over in Regina that weekend. And that was to showcase to people that we can make things happen with a limited amount of dollars, but really just a committed group of people. And is the idea to keep the magazine pretty focused on Winnipeg, or are you open to material from other places as well? I think what we wanted to do with the first issue is that we really wanted it to be a local Winnipeg focus because we wanted to be able to showcase all of the good things that are happening throughout the city. I think we've still yet to sit down and talk about a vision in terms of what is going to be our mandate with Red Rising. I know we talked about being uncensored and unfiltered, but I think what kind of the direction that we're trying to head into is that we want it to be able to use it as something that is going to not only inspire the next generation of Indigenous artists, writers, thinkers, but also to be able to empower them. We did a presentation a couple of weeks ago inside of university class, and we know the professor over there. There was about four of us in there, and he says, you know what, I really like what you guys are doing with this magazine. He says, you're not giving people a voice, which what you're doing is you're amplifying those voices. People already have a voice. So I think that the more that we continue on, we would like to be able to encourage people to write. Give me a bit of an overview of the kinds of things that people have been submitting so far. I didn't get to see the second round of submissions yet. Some of the stories that were put into that one would have been the transition from the reserve to the city, education within the North End. I talked about missing and murdered Indigenous men and how that relates to cultural identity. There's a poem about sisters, Indigenous sisters. There's poems about politics. We wanted it to be anything and whatever people felt passionate about, really. So we got a broad range of stories and viewpoints within our own community. And yes, we work as a collective, but we also don't 
not everybody looks at the world the same way. So we wanted to be able to give a voice to people that are marginalized or people that are doing well. I think that it's important for us to be able to showcase both sides. Not everything that you read about Indigenous people in the media is going to be true. Not everything that you read about Indigenous people in the media is going to be positive. So it's up to us to be able to showcase both sides of that. And I think that we do a disservice if all we ever talk about is the good things. But we do try to make sure that we are focusing or writing stories from a strength-based approach. It's easy to be able to criticize things that you see in the world without ever offering solutions. So we would also like to be able to, if we're going to expose a problem, we want to be able to offer solutions in terms of what we can see that would be able to change that. And why do you think it's important and valuable to have both articles about a given issue or event or whatever and things like stories and poetry? Why is it important to have all of those kinds of things in the same publication? I think what we're seeing right now is we're seeing a whole bunch of talented Indigenous youth, up-and-coming talent. There's so much people doing different things in different fields that we kind of wanted to be able to showcase that. And what has ended up happening throughout some of our presentations that we've done together as a group is that we've been able to go around and talk about restoring clan systems and there's a picture at the back of that magazine that has the group shot of the very first initial meeting for Red Rising. And we tell people that this is a microcosm of everything that is happening within the community. And it's a picture of us sitting down at the table eating dinner and just saying that, you know what, without one or the other, everybody brings something different to the table and everybody brings a different skill set to the table. And there's certain things that I can't do that Justin is going to be able to do that and vice versa. And Red Rising is really a proof of what can happen if Indigenous people work together or non-Indigenous people. So we made this happen with very limited resources. Just a bunch of people putting their time and energy together into a project like this is really a showcase of what can happen when people work together. Tell me a bit about the context into which this magazine is being published. And I guess by that, I mean particularly for non-Indigenous listeners who might not have a lot of awareness of all the really vibrant and important things that are happening in Indigenous communities in Winnipeg and across the country. So tell me a bit about the context of that resurgence and, and what it means and why it matters. So earlier this year, I wrote an article for the Winnipeg Free Press the first half of the article talks about all of the trials and tribulations that Indigenous people in the inner city have to go through. Winnipeg has a meth problem, prescription pill problem, alcohol, gangs, all of these other different things that people have to go up against. And when I wrote that article, I was actually writing about the stuff that I had seen during my youth. But the article is called An Optimistic Time for Indigenous People. And we wanted to be able to showcase, even though there's abject poverty and, and, and a lot of hopelessness that exists within our community, there is also this second generation that is coming up that has extreme potential and are extremely talented in their own ways. And we want to be able to showcase to people that there is people out there that are making things happen within our communities. And the majority of the work that we've done with Aboriginal Youth Opportunities has all been volunteer. Everything that is happening with Red Rising has all been volunteer, and everything that is happening with Aboriginal Youth Opportunities is all volunteer. 
there's so many different things that are happening within our own community where people are volunteering their time and working towards trying to restore healthy indigenous communities. And we want to be able to showcase that. So there's a lot of hardworking people out there that I know that are doing whatever they can to try to make sure that their families are okay. There's students, there's trade people, there's people that are breaking into media, journalism, music, video producing, all these different types of things where people are breaking ground in places that they've barely been able to get into. And I think that it's important for us to be able to not only showcase that, but also to be able to try to tell the story as accurately as possible. You mentioned earlier that one of the motivations for founding Red Rising was that lots of folks that you knew who had shared stories with the mainstream media had had their words misconstrued or taken out of context. Tell me a bit more about how that has played out for people. For me personally, I can speak on my own personal story. There was a CBC radio program that came out earlier this year that was called New Fire, which wanted to showcase Indigenous youth voices. And I was asked to do an interview there about sport because I had been involved in the 100 Basketballs project. And I was under the assumption that we were going to go there and talk about positivity in sport. We spoke to the producer for about 45 minutes and ended up being on a four-minute clip, but the radio show that they put me on was the Rebellion episode, so it was a little bit weird for me at first. I kind of had to listen to it a couple times. Like I thought that it's kind of weird to do a 45-minute interview and then have your words skimmed down to four minutes and to be put into a context where it was a little bit more of the rebellious side of 45 minutes of what I was saying. So that's one version of being skewed. I had done quite a few media interviews here with the local media this year, and I've been kind of lucky in a sense that every single interview that I've done, I've immediately told the reporter right off the bat that I don't want this to be a poor me story or it, for it to be a story where you make it sound like I'm trying to act like a victim because that's not what we're trying to do. I would much rather hear stories of resilience and for people to say that this is my truth, yes. But this is where we're at today. So we've managed to turn all of that negative energy into something positive. And that's the kind of story that we would like to be able to tell. I know that other members within the collective have had their negative experiences where they've done interviews and their words have been misconstrued or been taken out of context. So it's important for us to be able to have our own voices. And I often say that we should have more forms of our own media. In Winnipeg, we do have APTN, we have a national news station. We do have NCI, which is a native radio station. But I think that Red Rising is a little bit different because the only people that we're accountable to ourselves is the collective in the community. And we want to be able to showcase everything that's happening within the community, both good and bad. But I think that we would also like to focus a little bit more on the positive stuff that's happening in our community because there's lots of it everywhere that you look around. Tell me more about your piece in the first issue of Red Rising. That piece was actually about my brothers being incarcerated. I've got three brothers and two sisters, and every single one of us have been involved in the criminal justice system at one point or another. When I wrote that piece, three of my brothers were locked up. One of them ended up getting out, but now all three of them are currently locked up. There's a lot of focus on missing and murdered Indigenous women. And I kind of wanted to be able to point out that there's more than just women being murdered, there's men and boys being murdered. And we wanted to be able to relate that back to cultural identity and the loss of that cultural identity 
through all of the different policies that have happened throughout Canada to be able to understand the colonial relationship that Canada has with its indigenous peoples. I think that is important and it's important for us to be able to recognize that if we have a good sense of who we are as indigenous people and we have a sense of pride in who we are, if we can reclaim our identity, I think that goes a long way towards helping not only our families but our communities as well. So that's kind of where the piece went with that one is that we want people to be proud of who they are and I think that if they can do that, if they can reclaim that, I think that it definitely helps who they are as individuals. And is there anything that you personally want to be particularly sure to write about in future issues of the magazine? Yeah, I think we're most definitely trying to talk about reinstilling clan systems. I think that with the federal election happening, people were kind of taken aback when a couple of the parties were talking about a nation-to-nation relationship. These parties understand that there's a legitimacy to talking about a nation-to-nation relationship, but then people think of themselves as more of a domestic minority. And I think that it's important for us to be able to start having these nation-to-nation conversations amongst ourselves in terms of what do these nations actually look like. And it's not going to be a homogenous group where we say, okay, well, every indigenous person is under one nation in this country. It's not going to be like that. We've got Ojibwe, we've got Cree, we've got Mi'kmaq, and these are going to be nation-to-nations relationships. So with that, it's reinstilling clan systems and, and just taking it small and thinking locally. I think that we understand that we live in a global society and you can't go around trying to change the world. So the group that we've been able to put together, we're a bunch of youth activists, but we understand that, you know, you're not going to be able to go around and change the world. But if you can go around and try to change your community first, and then hopefully that has a ripple effect. A lot of the work that we've done as a group has been race relations and bridge building within the city. McLean's Magazine came out with an article earlier this year that all of Canada probably heard about. Winnipeg, most racist city, we've actually done a lot of race relations work as a group. And so I think the MO really is just to inspire and empower the next generation of youth. For me personally, the client systems, I would like to talk about roles and responsibilities as men in the community. There's all different types of things. I'm not even sure if I'll actually... I might write one short article for the next piece, but I would like to be able to showcase people that haven't necessarily had a chance to be part of something like that. And for folks who might not be familiar with what it means, talk a little bit more about what it would mean to restore the clan system. For me personally, I can't speak for anybody else, but I think that it's redefining roles and responsibilities. I think that within our own community... Our group that we're a part of, we can't be everything to everybody, but it's important for us to be able to look at our group as one piece of the puzzle. And there's a lot of different groups throughout the city that are doing important work to restore health to their communities and to their families. And I think that we're just one piece of that puzzle. But if we can look at it more as this group is doing their thing, this group is doing their thing, There's a group here called Drag the Red, which is searching for missing murdered indigenous women in the rivers. They do a lot of volunteer work. There's a group called the Bear Clan, which does volunteer patrolling in the inner city. And there's a group called God Bannock here, which feeds homeless people. And all of these different people are doing different things. And not everybody's going to be able to attend each other's events all of the time. But it's important to know that we can still support each other. We might not be able to make it over there, but we can still support each other. It's more of uh, restoring maybe a sense of governance, possibly. 
What kinds of reactions have you been getting to Red Rising in the community? What have people been saying about it? I know with my first look at it, I was actually kind of shocked. But just overall, I think a lot of people really liked it. I know that I ran into the Grand Chief, Derek Nipanak, and even he really liked it and just said, this is a pretty important medium that you guys have here. You guys need to be able to continue doing this kind of stuff because it gives people a platform. So I think that there's some people that can't relate to the culture of poverty. And that's not even really what this magazine is about. That's just my one article and the one perspective that I bring. But there is a lot of people that are genuinely interested and they really like it. I think that it appeals to more than just Indigenous youth. A lot of the elders in the community, a lot of people in the community, throughout the community, seem to have really grasped onto it and said that, you know, like, it's something fresh. It's not something that you get to be able to read every single day. We kind of wanted it to be something where people can relate to these types of stories and these types of poems or articles all across Canada. So I think that it's important for us to not, um, I don't think we want to limit ourselves, but also at the same time, I think that a lot of these stories are relatable to Indigenous communities throughout Canada. So what kinds of things do you and the rest of the collective need to figure out to keep Red Rising strong and moving forward? I think that for the most part, we've been all right. I think it's a matter of if people are going to be able to sustain their energy. The initial thing was that we really wanted it to be free for anybody to pick up, but also at the same time, the one thing that we didn't want there to be in it was advertisements. We get hit with advertisements all the time, and we wanted it to be an ad-free magazine. I think that kind of keeps us a little bit distinct from other magazines. And working out a sustainability model to see if we could be able to ship those magazines into different parts of the country and to hopefully keep it free here locally or keep it free wherever. But as long as we can cover the cost of printing and just sustaining it, I think that we'll be all right. I think that's the most important thing to recognize is that we just need to figure out a way how to keep enough money to print and to ship it out to different communities. We've had interest from different First Nations throughout Canada, some First Nations and states. I had been to a pipe ceremony a couple weeks ago and ran into somebody that was on a day pass from a correctional facility, and we were able to send a couple copies back there. I guess the word had gotten around a little bit that they would have liked to get more copies. So we're hoping to try to get it to as much of the provincial jails here as possible. There's a lot of people that I think that would be sitting in jail that would be able to be inspired by something like this. Not only to have something to read, but have something to write towards. So we would like to definitely ship it to the jails and definitely ship it to schools up north or in reserves across Canada. You have been listening to my interview with Leonard Monkman about Red Rising Magazine, a new publication produced by and for Indigenous youth in Winnipeg. To check it out, order issues, or learn how to submit to it, go to redrisingmagazine.ca. That's redrisingmagazine.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. 